Hi, everyone, and welcome to Millennium Live, our digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Healthcare expert and Millennium Alliance advisory board member, Pierre Vigilance, recently visited our New York office in order to tell us his thoughts on the ever-changing customer journey in healthcare. He discusses social determinants of health, his time as a Millennium Alliance advisory board member, and his predictions for the future. Pierre also has a podcast of his own, Junctional Thinking, which frames healthcare in a new and creative way. Thank you so much for joining us, Pierre. I am here with Pierre Vigilance. He's an adjunct professor at George Washington School of Public Health. He is also the founder and CEO of Health Up. Thanks for coming along and being in New York. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so you're on our advisory board, and yes. we're very lucky to have you. Um, and we've gotten to know you quite well. So can you share with our audience a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do as a leading voice in healthcare? So a couple different things. I think that my background is clinically in emergency medicine, but then I did a whole lot of public health stuff. So I sort of was a, an assistant health commissioner in two different jurisdictions, well, in Baltimore City, and then I was health commissioner in two jurisdictions, Baltimore County and Washington, D.C. And because of the emergency medicine background, I ended up seeing a whole bunch of people come into the emergency department for things that weren't emergencies, um, and that the healthcare system in this country you know, tends to be very reactive and very good in those situations, and the beginning of life and the end of life, and then in between, you're sort of not so much on your own, but healthcare is assumed to be able to take care of a whole bunch of things that it arguably shouldn't be respons- held responsible for. And those are social determinants or social influences of health, which is where public health comes in. So I spent a bit of time um, in the government sector and then in academia and sort of transitioning out of academia into sort of just more of the part-time play there. So still influencing learners, but also trying to now influence industries that are associated with health but may not realize that they're associated with health and trying to connect the dots between some of those influences and health outcomes there's a lot of things that you said i want to touch upon so let's see first i I do want to take it a step back even further so where did this passion for healthcare come from (laughs) is it in your dna did it come to you randomly How, how did this all start so i was born and raised in um in the UK in London and my mother is uh well when she was in England she was a social worker and when she we moved to the US she changed altogether into the tech industry um and my father uh is a retired optometrist and so my I think a combination of him being involved in some direct patient related care and my mother being involved in social service related stuff I was exposed to that pretty early and um Going to medical school, I decided that I wanted to do something that wasn't just an MD. I wanted an MD and another degree. So I looked at programs that had either a master's in public health or a business degree and um, felt like the public health stuff sort of spoke more to my social justice slash population health lens of way of thinking of things. So that's kind of where it came from. But I think it's, it's a combination of home, growing up in a system that sort of at least spouses itself to take care of everybody with the National Health Service and having family who were involved in care or service of some right. sort. It was in your blood. Yeah, 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 I think so. <laughs> so what would you say um, is the technology right now that's had the biggest impact on the transformation of, of health care? That's a great question. Um, I think that the technology that has the potential, to, that has had or does have got leaning forward, 
quote I would say so far in 2019, since we're halfway through the year already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that social media is one of the places where there is a lot of health conversation happening. So, so Facebook, um, and I think in a couple other places too. So health, unfortunately, this is health and fitness sometimes are conflated they're sort of shoved together and the fitness industry is very very big on some of these social media platforms but that's just one element of things and then the food piece is also pretty big on social media too so opportunities with respect to being healthier if you will from a fitness or a food perspective can be found through some of these social media outlets and i think that there's some of that that happening. I think that progress is being made on the healthcare side with respect to the electronic medical record and how the EMR can be better used not only by providers as in clinicians who are seeing the patients themselves but mid-level providers who may be able to mm. connect people with other services. So improving health outcomes by not just doing what you can do within the healthcare industry but also potentially looking outside. Um, and I think that that's potentially a, a a challenge there as well but I think the social media piece um, and then there's some interesting other some folks I've met who are doing things in spaces like blockchain mm. um, that big buzzword I think it is a big <laughs> buzzword and I think a lot of people sort of assume so they see a blockchain and then they think bitcoin and then they think cryptocurrency and then they think crash and it's but things have changed a lot especially very recently but the opportunities that blockchain presents as a distributed ledger for sharing information keeping information private as appropriate etc i think that there's a lot of work being done in that space too so there's a couple different places yeah. and we're still at the very beginning stages of that it seems everyone is still trying to figure it out <laughs> right no, no yeah so that's yeah. more so that's more sort of aspirational i think for the future but i think that yeah. the social media stuff is now and the electronic medical record stuff is now and improving finding ways to improve in both of those spaces i think right. is sort of current now, you touched upon before social determinants of health. I want to go back to that. Mm -hmm. So why is it important to think more broadly about diversity and inclusion when thinking about social determinants of health? No, that's a good question. I think that a lot, a lot of times people think about diversity and inclusion and diversity and inclusion and equity practices as being related to race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, uh, religion, um, and those certainly are places of diversity within workforces and um, within patient populations. But we've also got to be thinking about diversity of experience, diversity of sector, um, of who's involved in problem solving. So businesses are always talking about how their teams that are more diverse in any number of different ways do better at problem solving because the perspectives that are brought to the table are more varied. The same thing is true with health. And the thing is that health, all health outcomes are not going to be taken care of by medication and physicians and nurses and hospitals. We don't live in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, we live outside of that. So where we live, uh, where we work, where we play, where we pray, how we get to places, so transportation, housing, economic development, these are all other places and the diverse sectors that can and should be involved in helping us frame and determine how to improve health outcomes. Right. It's kind of going back to the basics, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Basics, but it's also more, it's simple, but it's more complex mm. at the same time, mm -hmm. because it would be simpler for us to just say, well, just go to the doctor more frequently, and you'll 
you'll get taken care of because that's where you go to it's like saying get your get your oil changed regularly (laughs) but you know the oil change is just one part of your vehicle's sort of maintenance right tires your battery got all these other things um and how you drive the car makes a huge difference and we drive our our physical cars if you will we drive ourselves in different ways by how we eat and how we sleep and all those other things where we work how much stress we have so yeah so we need to be looking at it a bit more comprehensively and therefore it's a bit more complex right so you mentioned you've worked in academia government nonprofit. so through all of these different sectors that you've been in is there an emerging health solution that is going to have the most impact in community health Taking I, all of these right, all of those spaces. different experiences yeah, into yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's funny you say that because uh, I've been talking to some people recently, in fact, yesterday about uh, there is something very basic that we might be missing. Oftentimes we presume that because we've got experiences from the places that we have experiences from, that we know what the user, client, patient, or whatever it is, needs or wants. And we know this without necessarily speaking to that user. And I think that because we have experience, like we've been in all these places and we've seen all these things. So, of course, we know in huge quotation marks. Um, But when it comes down to it, we can't actually know until we actually speak to somebody who is living a particular experience at a particular time. And I think that um, the more engaged we can be, and I talked to Medicaid and Medicare managed care organization executives and other insurance executives and asked them, what do you know about your clients? And they've got data on their clients. And they know how much their clients cost and they know what conditions their clients have. But if you were to ask them what the day of a client looks like, they can't really tell you. And some of them will say, well, I don't, is that information that I have to have or should I know that? And sort of, if you want to drill down into why someone's not coming to an appointment, why someone's not compliant with their medication, why someone's not moving on a particular disease index... It may be a function of something that's completely outside of what you suspected or what you're able to determine by what you've measured mm. because you haven't spoken to them or you've only spoken to them in the context of the healthcare visit. So I think that the thing is better engagement with the user so that, and I, and I say user very broadly. I mean, some people don't like that term. So client, patient, stakeholder, customer, consumer, consumer. Right but better engagement with those individuals directly with them so that you can know what they need and want and what they, what they prioritize and then figure out how to connect them if you have the resources to connect them directly or if you're a degree of separation from the resource that can connect them to that, then hmm. provide them that conduit. That makes a lot of sense. Information. I think right. that that's something that we, we assume we're more connected because of technology, but we're, we may not be. And we may not know as much as we think we know. Right. Right. It's a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, I want to talk about the healthcare mergers that we've seen um, in the last couple of years, actually, as well as the impact of big tech joining the industry. Yeah. So is this trend continuing and and who's going to have the biggest impact? What, what are your thoughts on this? It's interesting. So you're thinking about things like Aetna, right. CVS, stuff like that. So, cons- so retail-based medicine if you will or the opportunity to try to impact care outcomes by having people be able to walk into a place that might not normally have been considered a mm-hmm. healthcare place but because they've got some healthcare thing associated with it they can do that i think that that's an interesting um 
an interesting play, an interesting opportunity. I, I think that there are concerns about whether or not it's being done for the right reasons, um, i.e., is it being done to improve outcomes or is it being done to improve re- revenue? Right. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with, with trying to do both. But um, I think that certainly we want improved outcomes. And I think that any of these mergers need to be sort of measured in the same way that we look at, say, impact investing. And you think about things from an environmental perspective, a social perspective, and a governance perspective. We need to be looking at some of these mergers sort of in a similar way, right? Sort of how much does it improve the environment in which someone actually engages in care does it move anything on their social slash health index? And are we abiding by a good set of playing rules with respect to doing this thing once we've done this merger? Um, and I think that there's some of that measurement that goes on to some extent, but I don't know that we uh, assess those mergers in in quite as rigorously as we maybe should. And the other thing with mergers is it whittles down the competition, right? So the more the, the more people get together to do something, the fewer of the entities there are that are doing it, which is sort of why we've got, what, three choices now for our phone service yes. or whatever yep. it is. <laughs> um, and that, I think, can be an issue with cost at some point. So the mergers have not been particularly surprising. No, Nothing particularly sort of out of... Well, actually, the most interesting one, maybe the J.P. Morgan Chase, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway mm-hmm. combination. But again, I mean... Is that a function of trying to manage the cost of taking care of all the people who work for those three organizations combined? Or is it an opportunity to try to create a learning organization that then can be scaled to be used elsewhere to improve outcomes? So I think that's still to be determined. Yeah, we'll see where we'll see where this all goes. (laughs) So we're halfway through 2019. Um, How has the healthcare consumer journey changed this year? It's hard for me to say this year, but I know that there's a lot more, and there has been over the last couple of years, a last lot more attention years, yeah. being paid to to the 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 consumer experience, the customer experience in the in healthcare itself, right? So, what happens when I walk in the door, and how does that move? Um, and and that, and to some extent, is a function of health systems wanting to make sure that people are satisfied while they're within their sort of care, right? Sure. Um, and that goes all the way from the ambulatory care side of things and who greet, how you're greeted and who greets you to the inpatient side of things where multidisciplinary teams are now more frequently rounding on patients and trying to make sure that people understand all the things they need to understand so mm-hmm. they don't land back in the hospital in too short a period of time. But that landing back in the hospital in too short a period of time is something that a hospital doesn't want because it gets dinged for that happening. So some of it's about improving care, quality, and experience, but some of it's also about reducing poor outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. Not having people come back too soon. Um, So I think that... uh, that's something I've definitely seen uh, the health system I'm involved with, the, the mid-Atlantic system I'm involved with, um, definitely looks to try to push more on the interdisciplinary team approach to things okay. while people are in, inpatient and is very concerned about the community health end of things and how to do a better job of communicating with clients who are outside of the hospital, getting them to the right places of care. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a, a population health shift that's been going on for the last couple of years, but it's been necessary and important because managing cost of populations 
improves our ability to do well in a number of different ways. Right. So um, I want to switch gears again here. (laughs) Um, You've been to a number of our Millennium Alliance assemblies. As we mentioned, you're on the advisory board. And so you've gotten to interact with a lot of our attendees in in our very small uh, programs. And so I'm curious what you think are the benefits of getting to talk with other organizations and hearing the war stories, hearing their strategies and and so forth. Yeah, well, I mean, from... What I what I see happening is uh, people who didn't necessarily know each other when they got to the assembly getting into a room and being engaged in a facilitated conversation that actually some a couple of times I haven't really had to do too much. I mean, sort of like throw the proverbial <laughs> grenade into the middle of the room and just let them go for it. And, and then I see people interacting with each other, not only within that room, but then afterwards and they sort of, pick up on things that people said and that connectivity and that networking I think is a huge value um I think so and for me it's great to hear those insights from from people who I might not normally be hearing from right I regularly hearing from CEOs but not necessarily chief innovation officers or chief medical officers or the people who are the combination of those two things. Conversations that have been had about the social determinants or social influences of health have been particularly robust because of the complexity of addressing those things and because every system doesn't decide to do it the same way um, or address the same issue people get to hear different ideas from different people. So I think that that's, that's also a, a significant benefit. And I don't know how they would get that kind of a download in that kind of a time period. And then the other benefit is um, going into the, um, I want to call it exhibit hall because it's not an exhibit hall, but the space where they get to interact with vendors. Oh, the meeting room. Right, the meeting mm-hmm. room. And that, I think, gives them an opportunity to sit down with from what I hear from them and from what I've experienced myself, way more people in a short period of time than they might have done if they had gone to a more traditional, what we'll call mega conference. Sure. (laughs) Where you can kind of get lost. So everyone's sort of, it's compact um, and that's that's good, but it's also short. So uh, you really don't have too much of an excuse for sort of eloping for half of the conference like so many people do when they go to these. That is true. So the final thing I want to touch on is your newest project, Junctional Thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, did you forget? No, no, no. So this is your podcast, which right. dives deep into health and social impact intervention. So right. tell us about that and also tell us how we can tune in. Oh, sweet. Okay. So Junctional Thinking. So this is a, a concept that came up out of a leadership course that I was teaching a couple of years ago and I decided in talking to students and in talking to the leaders who the students would interact with um, that to sort of start looking at a little bit more closely into what makes somebody capable of being able to operate at what I call the junction really which is a space where it's an interdisciplinary space because health is an interdisciplinary field and so you have to be able to Um, navigate what happens when you're getting inputs from a number of different directions. You've got uh, patients, you've got providers, you've got influences of health, you've got regulatory systems, you've got a whole bunch of different things. And you've got to pick and choose at times sort of which dots you're going to connect and why you're going to connect them. And there are five um, sort of skills, behaviors, and ideals that a junctional thinker or a junctional thinking aspiring person sort of 
either has or needs to have in order to be functional. And those five are, you know, to be an effective listener, uh, to be someone who is perpetually learning, uh, to be someone who's not afraid of being labeled as a leader and to be sort of aspiring to, or even aspiring to be a leader, but trying to push themselves out there as, as pushing things forward. And then the uh, the last two are that they are patient because all these things don't happen exactly when we want them to. Most of the time they don't. And then to be partner oriented. And so the podcast and the book that I like to say that I'm threatening to write, but it's sort <laughs> of like a, it's I think going to be a natural progression from all the conversations is based on this uh, the notion that you can have people from different sectors come and have conversations with me about what doesn't seem to be health related but is absolutely when we get around to it got some impact on health so an example um, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who writes uh, for the Huffington Post at the intersection of sports and culture how has that got anything to do with health well he's written about the Olympic Games and the World Cup and the impact of development of stadiums around the world, London, Atlanta, Rio, and how those stadium developments created displacement of populations who were living in those areas for events that were really only around for just a few short weeks, uh, creating structures that weren't going to be used for some significant period of time afterwards. The displacement of people... And uh, it means that they are moved away from their regular sources of transportation, housing, economic development, whatever it is. But that's a development impact on health, right? Uh, conversations with people who are doing design thinking, social impact bonds, um, working in the education sector. So I have yet to speak to somebody who is actually a healthcare provider, but all of the conversations relate to health outcomes and how these different sectors have some kind of a play in that. Mm. So right now, I think we're on Simplecast primarily. It's broadcast out of um, the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. It's full service radio. So shout out to the to folks there, Alexia and Jack. And uh, hopefully this fall, um, we're on. A, we're going to be on some, some more platforms, but there are definitely there's, there's links to the show at the moment, which I don't remember off the top of my head. But um, we'll include we'll it. Be able to include. <laughs> us. Thank you for that. And um, yeah, some opportunity to sort of like listen in on conversations with, like I said, a few different types of players, right. unique um, perspectives, some yeah. different perspectives, and and how those people see themselves engaged in not only the work that they do, and then me connecting it to those five sort of characteristics, but also um, how we might think about partnering with folks like that to improve health and health outcomes. Wow. Well, I know we'll be listening. We're thank a big you. fan of yours. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for being here and, and for giving us your insights. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to listen and subscribe to our podcast exclusively on iTunes and SoundCloud to get the inside scoop from top execs in the world of digital transformation. Head on over to mill-all.com for more information.